All right, Second Thessalonians. And don't get all excited, Avenel. We're not going to chapter 2. Not today, anyway. <laughs> She's had a question about chapter 2, and we're not going to get there today, but maybe later. Now, that's where we're going to start. And, boy, that's another one of these I've got, unfortunately, I hate to say, but about a million verses. And uh, so I'm going to do my best to work through these. They're not going to be difficult or long. It's just a matter of reading them to see the interconnectedness between them and Paul's message, that which he proclaimed. So the first, we're just going to read the whole first chapter of uh, 2 Thessalonians, where he says, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, or Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to give thanks, uh, or to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled, rest with us, wherein, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting uh, destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I read that entire chapter so that we might simply get the thoughts and the direction and of Paul as he's writing to the church at Thessalonica. Of course, he's already written to them one letter. If he's written Second Thessalonians, you'd surely think, there was a first, and there is. And so we might be able to assume some things, some things that Paul had already communicated to them. But what I want us to look at here this morning is this interconnectedness of some thoughts here with faith and charity and the kingdom of God. And I want us to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13, and I'm going to be looking at several passages, but hopefully we'll be able to look at most of them, not all, but most in, in order, so that you won't have to be turning back and forth uh, all through the scriptures. In verse 13, Paul says, And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. And what I want us to look at is the unity 
of these three items and the fact that Paul focuses on these and virtually every single one of his epistles. They are mentioned either by name or... uh, I don't even want to use the word alluded to. I want to use a stronger word if I can than that without actually... In other words, he said it without actually using the word hope. He actually used... Uh, what I would call the fulfillment of the word hope that we'll be looking at. And so, these words, faith, hope, and charity. And in all of the passages that we're going to look at, it's the same Greek word, there's no change. They all mean the same thing in every passage. And so we can settle in context, and that's one reason I go back and look at several of these passages and read more than one or two verses so that we can see the context that they're all the same thing. That way, as you read these epistles, when you see these mentioning of uh, Paul's mentioning of these words, faith and hope and charity or love, and it's the agape love, that we might recognize that he's talking about the same thing in every instance. Now, you have to be careful because there are some instances where even though the word faith may be used, It may not be the faith uh, we're talking about here because here he's talking about our faith, the faith that we hold, that which we have as a believer, as a Christian. I'm not talking about necessarily the faith, although that would be embodied and encompassed in our faith. It is the object of what we believe in, our faith, those, those truths that we hold so dear concerning the future millennial rule of Jesus Christ. So we're talking here about that which we are to have now as a present possession, as a part of our life, as those things that are part and parcel of a a, a life that will produce the desired end result so that if we were being considered as a possibility to be nominated for our name to appear in Hebrews chapter 11 with all the other saints that are mentioned there, that it could be said of us, these all or this person, he or she died in faith. Now with that in mind, I want us to turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, and I, I, don't, I don't even believe that I've got all the instances. I don't think that I have here. Matter of fact, I'm quite sure I don't have all the instances. I didn't try to look all of them up. I did try to find the key essential ones and relate those to us this morning. In Galatians 5, 5, and there Paul says, For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in uh, Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. So the second thing I'd like us to see here is not only are these three so often mentioned in conjunction with, with, uh, with each other, But faith and love are mentioned 
in connection with each other as a requisite for having our hope fulfilled, having our hope brought to conclusion. In other words, they, they work together, faith and love. And we cannot have the one without the other and deem it possible that we should be um, I don't want to use the word successful in our Christian life. You know, Roy Rogers and Dale Evans did. You know, they said faith, hope, and charity. That's the way to live. How? Successfully. You know, heard that? Yeah. Hope somebody heard that when you was a kid. Faith, hope, and charity. That's the way to live successfully. How do I know? The Bible tells me so. Oh, when I was a kid, we had a little 45 of that. We played that thing over and over and over. Well, it's more than just the way to live successfully, unless you want to include the idea that success means the fulfillment of your hope. And, of course, we're going to look and delve just a little farther to see just what that hope is. So let's turn to Ephesians, just one more book, Ephesians chapter 1. We have to read several verses here to catch Paul's thought. And so we're just going to begin with verse 12, Ephesians 1.12, where he says that we should be, or if you want actually a more literal translation, for us to be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now, again, to set the tone and thought, we've been through this one more than more than one occasion. That the word of truth, the gospel that which Paul preached, the gospel of your salvation, is the same in every epistle. It is the same gospel that the Lord Jesus Christ proclaimed concerning the coming kingdom, concerning his coming rule over the earth. So let's bear that thought in mind. And then he says, In whom also, after that ye believed that gospel, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love unto all the saints. Now, there we see faith and love together. Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And so we see that faith and love, again, connected together with the end result being that you may know what is the hope of his calling. In other words, the eventual outcome. The eventual outcome of one who has believed Paul's gospel, the gospel of your salvation. 
And what will be the outcome if you have faith and love? If these things characterize your life. When, he, when we do, he says, you will realize the hope of your calling. Now let's turn to Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 4, we see the same connectedness. Paul writes in verse 3, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have for all the saints, or to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of truth, of the gospel. Now Paul's not talking about a different gospel to the Ephesian church than he is to the one at Ephesus. It is the same gospel. And the outcome of this faith and this love is the fulfillment or the realization of the hope. The hope that they were clinging to and holding on to. The hope that would be theirs if they would continue in the faith. Continue in practicing love or charity, as we'll see, this is translated several different times. And if you just take a, this, this thing here where he saw, says about, uh, which is laid up for you in heaven. In my Bible, I can look straight across the page to verse 13, where it says, He, or excuse me, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. There is a sphere in which we operate. Those who have heard the gospel of the kingdom, those who have believed, are literally, he says now, moved. Now, I don't mean physically literally, but the word removed, or the word translated there, means to move from one place or location over to another. And so this one who has believed the gospel of the kingdom or the gospel of the glory or the word of truth of the gospel or any of the other New Testament expressions that talk about that gospel has been moved from one sphere to another. Another expression that the New Testament uses that we might identify that with is you have been moved from darkness to light and to change. There is a new sphere of operation which we are in. Consequently, we are to respond then to what God shows us in the light. And you remember a few a couple weeks ago we talked about that verse, I think it was in John 8, where he says, I am the light of the world. Believe in the light. It is, a, it is a responsibility. It is something that we can choose not to do. But once we are in the light, once we have received that gospel message of the truth with respect to that coming kingdom rule of Jesus Christ, we must recognize that we are in a whole new 
sphere. And then, of course, we could easily run to John's uh, epistle, his first epistle, where he says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with the Son. Fellowship with him. But we can't do it if we're over here walking in darkness. And too many Christians leave the light. You know, they don't just outright reject it from the beginning and they stay in darkness. But having accepted a portion of the gospel, as it were, they believe in Jesus. They believe he's real. They believe he's God's son. They believe he died on the cross and rose from the dead. But they don't walk in the light. Still walking in darkness. And these components of hope, the realization of hope, is faith and love. And we find these regularly, consistently connected together, not just in Paul's epistles, but in Peter and James and John as well, though we won't have time to go there this morning. So, Colossians 1.4, we read verse 5, hope. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3. Now in verse 3, jumping around here. 1 Thessalonians 1.3, it says there, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father. Again, just you know, another passage here. All we're trying to show at this point is that this is a consistent thing with Paul and a regular thing with Paul to mention these things. But, let's look at verse 4 and continue on. He says, Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as we know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And now, if we'd have gone over to Second Thessalonians, that would have made a whole lot more sense. So let's go to 2 Thessalonians. That wasn't where I wanted to be. <laughs> Excuse me. 2 Thessalonians now. Now, now if we look at 2 Thessalonians and the same thing, chapter 1, verse 3, where he says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and you see that is something that Paul is commending, a growing faith, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other abounds, on abounding love, a growing faith, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure or ye endure which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment or the just judgment of God, 
that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. And I want to suggest to you, since we do, we do not find the word hope in this epistle, but we do find that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. And what I want to suggest to you, that the word hope here is actually this expressed in its actual fulfillment. You have faith, you have love, and you have the ultimate outcome of that faith and love. Being counted worthy of the kingdom of God. You know, he goes on to say in verse 6 that it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Now, the word tribulation and the word trouble are really from the same word. You might just say tribulation to them that tribulate you. (laughs) But a better way that we would understand it would be to say to recompense trouble to those that cause you trouble. In other words, pay them back. Those who aggravate, stir up, resist, fight against those who hold to the faith of the coming kingdom rule of the Lord Jesus Christ will have that trouble heaped right back up on their own heads one day. And as we continue and look at verse 7, he says, And to you who are troubled, same word again, rest with us, or a seizing or an easing up with us. In other words, these afflictions, these tribulations and troubles that you're going through, he says they're going to be, there, there will be an easing up of these things. It's going to be lifted up and the pressure and the burden will not be so heavy. And when is that going to occur, he says? When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Not Now, this is all true, we believe, of course, that he is going to deliver us and rescue us. And in that sense, we will ultimately enter into his rest. But Paul's point here is not that. When he's talking about his revealing and coming, you see the whole context has to do with the judgment of those who trouble you, who cause you tribulation. And you'll see that in verse 8 when he says, when he, come, when, you know, he says he's revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is not possible to obey the gospel if they do not know the Lord Jesus Christ already. This is something which they have refused and rejected and spurned and decided I'll go my own way. And so rather than walking with faith and in love, they resist and fight against the people of faith. And God's judgment will come down on them one day. Those that trouble you, he says. And verse 9 gets to be pretty strong because watch this. He says, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. Now that literally 
says who will pay the penalty. They will pay the penalty for that. And the penalty is this, age-lasting destruction from the face of the Lord. That word presence there means from the very face of the Lord. And from the glory of his power or the glory of his strength. Now, of course, that age-lasting destruction there means they will miss out on the 1,000-year rule of Jesus Christ. That means the penalty here is not an endless, eternal destruction, but it is a destruction that will last for 1,000 years, and it will cost dearly. And so, for those who resist, for those who trouble you, there's going to be a price to pay. One day there will be, for you, a day of recompense in which they will be required to pay the penalty. Turn to 1 Timothy. I have time, I'm going to come back there to 2 Thessalonians. 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, by the commandment of God our Savior, I lost my place. Woo! Um, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. I'll be glad when I get my printer going because this is not going to work too well here. Oh, man, have I got them. Pardon me. Apologize. I don't know what in the world I did here, but boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, did I do it. I got it. About, there, oh, there, that's better than it was. Okay, let's go with that. Okay, 1 Timothy 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, we said, and was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. So we see hope and faith and love all mentioned together again. Now, if you turn over to chapter 2 and verse 15, we find love and faith. Now, this is where we talked about love and faith working in conjunction with one another, that they belong together. It does not pay to have one without the other. In verse 15, he says, Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. And if you turn to chapter 6 and verse 11, Paul says, chapter 6, verse 11, But thou, O man of God, flee these things, Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. And we find those two mentioned together again. In 2 Timothy, chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. 
Paul says, Hold fast the form of sound words, words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Hold fast, he says, the form of sound words. And how are they to do that? In faith and in love. Chapter 2 and verse 22. He says, flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And in chapter 3 and verse 10, In 3.10, he says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. Now, it's interesting to me that in this epistle, he doesn't mention again the word hope. But inasmuch as this is Paul's final epistle before his death, I want us to look at the end of this chapter, or excuse me, of chapter 4. And there he says in verse 18, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me or save me unto his heavenly kingdom. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And you remember what we were trying to say here is that hope has a purpose. Hope has an end. Hope has a realization to it. Hope is a goal to which we are moving toward. And Paul, at the end of his life, didn't need to talk about the hope anymore. Because he knew. As a matter of fact, going back to chapter 4, when Paul said, I fought the good fight, I finished my course, I have kept the faith, henceforth there is laid up for uh, me a crown of righteousness. You see, hope wasn't a hope anymore for Paul at this point. It was a hope that had been fulfilled. And he knew as close as he was to the end of his life that he had lived successfully a life of faith and a life of love and a life that was going to result in a crown for him. He knew the Lord Jesus Christ was going to save him for his heavenly kingdom. Now, most of us probably don't, you know, we don't know the day of our death. I don't know that Paul knew the day, but he certainly knew he didn't have long at all. And it was so close to the day of his death that he could make such a bold statement that he knew there would be a crown laid up for him the Lord was preserving him for his heavenly kingdom, that he had finished the course, that he had kept the faith, and he was going to be there. Success, if we want to use success in those terms. Turn with me over to Titus, and we'll, we'll end here. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. I guess we'll have to read verse 1 to get the context here again. Paul a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect. You know, I do like to do crossword puzzles. You know, I learn things through that. It's an interesting thing. 
even the, even the secular world uses terms and we don't stop to think about them the way the scripture uses them. The other day I was doing a crossword puzzle and it, the clue was, uh, I don't remember exactly, but it was something like this. Those not yet in office. You know what the word turned out to be? Elect. You think about that. The elect. The chosen ones. They simply aren't in office yet. David was a chosen king. But it was quite some time before he was able to occupy his office of being a king. And so it is for you and I. According, Paul says, to the faith of God's elect, he says, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of what? Age lasting life. I mean, he spells it right out there for us. In hope of age lasting life. That which is to yet come in the future. Look at chapter 2 and verse 13. A very familiar passage to us where Paul says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing, or as you well know, it is the appearing of the glory of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at chapter 3 and verse 7. That being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs. And we don't have time, but we shouldn't lose sight of that word heirs. To be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life or age abiding, age lasting, age enduring life. Or life that will endure for the age. And you might say, well, the age. Well, I mean, that could just mean anything. You're putting anything you want to mean into that. Not really. Because if we would go all the way back to the Old Testament and the promise of God to Israel, that there would come a time, a period in which a Messiah would come and bring peace and righteousness to this world. And those who live and walk by faith will have opportunity to be participants in that. And you know that gave great hope to the resurrection? Do you remember Paul when he appeared before the courts? That he says, hey, really what it boils down to, folks, here, before Israel, before the Israelites, why I'm on trial here, is for the hope of the See, that was just nothing but a couched, veiled term or reference for the hope of the messianic rule, the messianic life that's to come. That's why I'm on trial. That's what caused Paul so much trouble. And I can assure you that if we walk with a consistent witness for the Lord Jesus Christ and proclaim that gospel, you're going to be troubled also. You are going to experience tribulation. If you aren't, that tells you that you're not proclaiming the message. We're not telling anybody. I mean, I don't mean to tell you to go out and get in trouble. But you know something? We talked about this a few weeks ago as well. 
that to be a witness, to be one who proclaims the gospel, means we do not shun or shy back or withhold anything in any opportunity we have. But we boldly stand for the truth. And the end result of standing for the truth and being bold in our witness is two things. You're going to suffer trouble and tribulation now. But you're going to be assured of a crown then. You're going to be assured, you are going to be assured of a positive, or as Peter says in his second epistle, an abundant entrance, a rich entrance into the age-lasting kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there is nothing easy about living this life. But I want to assure you that it can be done, that God has equipped every single one of us by his Spirit with all that we need to live and walk a life of faith and a life of love toward one another. all those who hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what brings me such great joy here is to be able to come and experience the love and the joy to hear the testimonies that you give regarding your faith and the coming rule of Christ. That's one of the things I told you I enjoyed so much about New Year's Eve when we had our on New Year's Eve get-together here, and we had time and opportunity to share some testimonies. I mean, that was awesome. I, I remember Brother John standing up, and I mean, he, like, knocked me down. He blew me away. I said, that, that is just great. I was so encouraged by that, Brother John. It just overwhelmed me by the things that he said. If you, of course, if you weren't here, you missed that, but it was just a joy for me. It brings, just like John saying that, it's, what a joy it is to hear that my children walk in truth. He's not one of my child. He came to faith before I ever got here. But it still brought joy to my heart and tears to my eyes. I, I was a happy guy just to hear people, and it wasn't the only one, but others of the same vein who spoke of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so my word to you is simply this. We can all be that way. There's nothing to hold us back except the lack of a commitment of each one of us individually to this gospel. A commitment to walk in the light as he is in the light and do his will. The very fact that I mentioned do his will, it reminds me of a verse I wanted to put down and I didn't do it, so and I can't think of it either, so I'm just going to stop right there. I pray that from a message like this that you walk away not discouraged but encouraged. Encouraged that this faith which I hold is going to pay off one day. It is going to be realized and fulfilled when Jesus Christ comes. And so don't let go. As the writer to Hebrews says, hold it fast. Keep up and don't quit. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, again, an opportunity to assemble together, to enjoy the blessing and fellowship of one another's company.
but to enjoy the company and fellowship of one another's love and one another's faith. But here in this church, one another's hope. And I pray, Father, that we would all cling rigidly and hard and fast to that hope regarding the life that is to come. I pray, Father, that for each we would all grow in the, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, as, as Peter admonishes us to do, and that we might build on that faith, that we might find ourselves walking as uh, complete men, matured men, aged men, those who know personally the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just have a basic knowledge, but a full knowledge of him. May our hearts be encouraged to do that today and to be that today. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.